Hello and welcome. I'm Alexander. And I'm Simon. We are Native in Tech, covering the latest from the IT industry with a specific focus on Microsoft and how to get actual value from technology. This is episode 157, recorded on July the 15th, 2021. You will be able to find this and our previous episodes on kneedeepintech.com, iTunes, Spotify, and on most podcasting platforms. Simon, it is 31 degrees centigrade. That's about 88 degrees Fahrenheit in my home office. I would say that you are the lucky one. <laughs> oh dear. This is really uh, taking the shape of the summer special that we were talking about. Yeah, and um, our good... Uh, past friend Tony would not have liked this, so I think he is in a, in a very good place for him currently. <laughs> I I was thinking the exact same thing earlier today because I vividly remember him finding new ways to to uh, swear in multiple languages <laughs> in Florida when we went to Ignite. That guy was yeah. livid when it was really, really warm. And I came up with mm-hmm. this great idea to walk to my hotel. The <laughs> eye that he gave me was just, yeah, no, I'll be running off because otherwise he'll, he'll just wring my neck. Yeah. And um, just, just to keep on that with conferences, warmth, and we'll get back to Inspire soon, but um, Microsoft Inspire started yesterday. My entire night was spent dreaming about me attending a conference and eating a crap ton of buffet food. (laughs) Or more accurately, I took a lot of food but never had the opportunity to eat it uh, because I ended up doing other things instead. Mostly swimming, if I remember correctly, for whatever reason. So I'm really keen on getting back to conferences. I'm really keen on getting back to warmth where it's supposed to be this warm which is in Florida, and not being here. I thought you'd say that you was really you, you were really, really hungry. But yeah, no, I, I, I totally get you. So uh, as I told you right before we started recording, I just uh, bought plane tickets. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to, uh, or I, I hope I am going to, uh, to Mechelen, which is outside of Brussels in October for Data Minds Connect. Um, we'll see if that is the case, but I, I, I really, really, really hope that will happen. Yeah, I guess it's the number of cases that will depend on your case getting to the case you want to be. Well, in that case, we'll see. Yeah, let, let's go ahead with the first rant of this summer special, which will be us talking about some new things, how... We really don't cope with warmth in our offices, what we will do later this year, and probably a bunch of other things that we shouldn't talk about, but which we will talk about anyways. So just to make absolutely clear, what Simon is saying is that we will now be two somewhat older white gentlemen whining about the temperature. <laughs> uh, something came that came out of, of uh, Inspire. Um And yeah, Simon is going to rant, so kick it off, sir. Windows 11, which is old news by now. It is. But for for a number of reasons, we haven't had opportunities to record. But now, let's start. First part of this rant. Why Windows 11? 
and and we now know why it wasn't called Windows 365, <laughs> which I claim that if you go back a couple of episodes, you will find me saying that, yeah, what about naming Windows Windows 365? Apparently they had that name for something else now. Uh, but I, I will start with Windows 11 is great. I've tried it on, on various devices, especially my Surface Pro X is running brilliantly with Windows 11. I love the look and feel of it. I love the sounds it makes. I, I, I do love Windows 11. I do hate what Windows 11 stands for. Because Alexander have attended a few sessions, and I think many of the listeners have attended a few sessions with me where I've stood on stages and said, Windows 10 will be the last Windows. So what you should have said was, Windows 10 will be the last Windows 10. Exactly. And I've many times ranted over how Microsoft have stepped back and stepped back and stepped back from the vision they had from the start with Windows as a service, which were continuously developing the operating system, and which I still to this day claim that the only reason is that it hasn't been as successful as I still believe it should have been, is due to lazy, ignorant IT admins that can't cope with continuous development of their own platform. The IT industry have had six years to at least get started. I still claim that every single organization, regardless of how much legacy they have, would have been able and are able to go with Windows as a service and do at least one Windows upgrade per year. And if there are anyone who say that no, our our org can't because we're so big or we're so complex or have you seen our apps, please get in touch. And I will tell you how to make it happen, but it's still up to you as leaders, IT admins, architects to make it happen. And I think that now Microsoft is taking the last step back and we will now get into a situation where Windows 10 will be the new XP or the new Windows 7 because of next rant that will start in a few minutes. So what's your <laughs> take on Windows 11? Um, I think I'm going to be um, pretty much in, in agreement with you. Uh, I see no reason why they call it Windows 11. Why not keep going with Windows 10? It's the same thing. And that would at least have not solved, but lessened the issue that you just talked about. So, um, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's clear that someone at the marketing side of things might just have had just a tad too much clout. And that is unfortunate. Uh, I also think that it is unfortunate that they have backtracked a bit with the hardware requirements. Uh, me for one, I, I really enjoyed the fact that you uh, required a, um, what is it called? The, the, uh, TPM chip. Yes. Thank you for getting me into rant number two of this episode. That was easy. <laughs> there are new hardware requirements for windows 11 in 
comparison or in contrast to Windows 10, which had similar requirements as Windows 7 had. For Windows 11, the requirements on CPU, RAM, disk speed, uh, all of those things are actually lower than Windows 10. So more hardware should be fully capable of running it. It requires one gigahertz of CPU. It needs to be a 64-bit CPU though, as Windows 11 won't have a 32-bit option, which is great, or a system on a chip. So ARM is supported, which obviously it is since I'm running it on an ARM CPU. Four gigabytes of RAM. And if you have less than four gigabytes of RAM, we need to talk about that as well. And then the joy of TPM. And that blew up the internet. First and foremost, TPM 2.0. If we again go back a couple hundred episodes, I'm absolutely certain that I've repeatedly said for years that if you buy a new machine, it should have TPM 2.0. And in practice, a lot of machines, both consumer and business models, have TPM 2.0 or are able to upgrade to TPM 2.0. You may have to enable certain features in your UEFI, but it is there. And if you have a problem with having TPM 2.0, you have a problem with, have, with having proper secure devices by good enterprise-grade hardware. TPM have been a must since Windows 7. And if you are, let's say, a, a nonprofit or a school which have very, very tough uh, requirements in terms of cost, there are options for you as well. As we know, with virtual TPM ships and whatnot, I have more understanding with those use cases but again, looking back at five-year-old hardware that should easily have TPM. And if it's five years old or older, you will likely not run Windows 11 on it anyways. So the TPM chip is integral to the Coffee Lake or later series Intel uh, chips. And those were launched uh, on well, almost three years to the day, October the 5th. 2017. Three years? Yeah. No, that's not three years. That's four years. Four years ago. Yeah. And before that, you had a variety of other options. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, if it's not in integral to the CPU, you most likely have a, a um, header on your motherboard yeah. that you can plug one in. Yeah. So absolutely. Uh, I think it's great. I think that really shows that now it's time to get secure. Didn't Microsoft back down on the requirement? I read something about that, but I, I didn't delve into it. I don't think so. However, they have changed the, the tool that allowed you to pre-check a number of times since it couldn't pick it up correctly. Uh, and there were some CPUs that were supported that didn't show as supported and, and vice versa. Yeah, the Ryzen 3 series, the one that I have. That it's, yeah. it's kind of a new one. And, and I think that's also goes back to consumer and, and I, my motherboards in my, or my primary server, 
doing air quotes here. I think I bought that motherboard 2011 and it has a TPM that I do think is upgradable to 2.0. As long as you have a header, then you can just pull it out and put in a 2.0 chip. Yeah, but I, I have a chip. I have a TPM on my 10-year-old gaming motherboard. So, again, it shouldn't be a problem. I think it's great. If you have a problem with that, please reach out, and I'm happy to talk you through your options and what you did wrong many, many years ago. You're on a roll I today. I, I sure am, and I do hope that we get comments on this episode. <laughs> oh, be careful what you wish for. You just might get it. Yeah, you know, old publicity is publicity. That is a good point. Wow. Uh, yeah, other things that I'm not going to rant about is the um, store for business that will be getting a reamp or a complete makeover or basically a new store where you will be able to purchase any kind of app, which I think is absolutely fantastic. So doesn't matter who develops it, doesn't matter if it's a modern app or a legacy app or a web app, you can get it in the store. I think that's brilliant. That also will include, at some point, Android apps running on Windows. Yeah, that one really made me scratch my head. Yeah, but they've been speaking about that since Windows 10. And even before that, um, was that the Centennial Bridge? I think that was it. They they have talked about it. They dropped the development of that feature. So that was why I was so surprised to see it back. And you can always argue, why would you need that? And I think that it just opens up another ecosystem for developers. And it will be something similar to what Apple does with enabling iPad and iOS apps on macOS. So I think it's a, a showing the closer partnership between Google uh, and uh, even Amazon, <laughs> for the matter, <laughs> because they are part of, of that um, integration. So I think that's a brilliant thing that you are also able to uh, get a plan where you aren't paying Microsoft anything for, for you having the apps in the store. It's up to you what, what you want in terms of services from them. Uh, and that also goes back to a one of the news items from Inspire, where Microsoft is dropping their cut of things in the marketplace down from, I think it was 20% or 30%, down to 3%, which is quite extraordinary. But we will get back to the partner story from Inspire later, I hope, in this episode. Huh, Interesting. Yeah, well, we'll see where we end up with Windows 11. I mean, I, I think it's unfortunate that they chose that name. I think that plays straight into the hands of a lot of people that weren't pleased with the decisions Microsoft made for Windows 10. So now I will have a very, very hard time arguing anything for Windows 11. Yeah, I'm curious to see what your your soapbox is going to be on stage going forward now that you can't hark, this will be the last Windows anymore. <laughs> uh, I think you need a new t-shirt, by the way. This wasn't the last Windows. <laughs> and this is not the Windows I, you're looking for. 
Yeah, I'm 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 getting one of those. And by the way, just to end that up, uh, Windows as a service, Windows 11 will have one new release per year, supported for I think it's three years. Uh what does that mean? So we won't have H1, H2. No, <laughs> or we will because Windows 10 will still be developed, and I haven't seen how they're changing that. So we'll have Windows 10 developed simultaneously with Windows 11 with both of them getting new releases and Windows 11 will be getting one release per year yeah this is a great idea <sighs> don't get me started again no please. no no I won't wind you up so um, paginated I'm... reports paginated yes. reports well the funny thing is I, I can rant a bit about the paginated report <laughs> as well so what is Power BI Power BI is a reporting tool first and foremost but it has grown out of that to to encompass so much more data engineering quality um everything you can think of when it comes to data um, prepping or visualization or or governance it can be done through power bi and power bi kind of sprung from sql server reporting services which we had since sql server 2005 i think and that is a long, long, long time ago. The thing with SQL Server reporting services is that you can create um, static reports, right? And, and you can design them in a way that you, you know exactly what they look like. In, in, in essence, it's going to be a, a document with um, placeholders for your data. Make sense? Mm -hmm. So one of the most common questions that people get when they... they implement Power BI in, in an organization is, oh, that's nice. Can I print it? And <laughs> I just want to tear my hair out because why would you want to that? It, the whole point is not to do any printing, but that does not stop people from printing or exporting to PDFs and, and then emailing it and God knows what. So there is apparently, regardless of my opinions, which is surprisingly common, a use case for having paginated reports, also known as pixel perfect reports, which which is absolute bullshit because it's nothing <laughs> like pixel perfect, but that's a whole different story. So it is a way to use a static report, if you will. And what we just got was the paginated report visual, which is the ability to add a visual just like any other visual in, in Power BI that it contains a whole paginated report. And yes, you can set it so whenever you click on your report, it, it will refresh the, the static report or the, the paginated report. Um, apparently, th this was a huge thing. I still think that it is kind of solving the wrong problem. But again, um, people seldom listen to what I have to say anyways. So that is a huge thing. It is now out in, in public preview. What is also out very recently is the new Scanner API. It's a, it's a bunch of REST APIs, predominantly enhancements, and this makes it possible for you to query your estate to get more information. Uh, it's kind of sort of geared towards discoverability and then monitoring within Power BI governance, uh, but you can you can pretty much use this for, for any anything you you want to could, could you give me an example of how that would work because i'm only seeing 
asking, querying your estate for new information. And the only thing I'm seeing is myself going out on a field and asking a cow how they're feeling. I would like to see that. <laughs> so, um, let's put it this way. You have created 10 fantastic um, data sets. Mm -hmm. Do you know if anybody used them? That's what this API can tell Ooh. you. Do you know who has built uh, reports based off your data sets? That's what this um, API can tell you, and so on and so forth. So That's great. It, 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 what I'm trying to say, it is <laughs> trawling your estate mm -hmm. and in, exposing or, or surfacing information about not only your uh, data sets, you can mm -hmm. see inside of them. So you can see columns, you can see measures, you can see DAX expressions, you can see mashup queries, which is what gets sent down. So it vastly improves the information that you can leverage from your estate, essentially. Great. And, and I can absolutely see the use, as you say, for governance and should we keep maintaining this data set or not? Yeah. Yeah, that, that's great. So, Thank you. Um, one of my, my uh, mentees, Kurt Bueller, has an amazing session uh, based off uh, creating usable reports. And mm -hmm. the sneaky thing is that usable in that case is not so much is the report itself usable, it's more is it used? Because mm -hmm. you can have the coolest or most epic report ever. If it doesn't get used, well, it sucks. Yeah. So this this API can definitely help you there. And mm -hmm. while we're on the subject of, of APIs and, and uh, <laughs> command line stuff, um, I want to give a heads up. This came out on June the 30th, so it's not news per se, but I haven't talked about it. There will be breaking changes coming to the Power BI PowerShell commandlets. Um which is a kind of a good thing to know. So what's going to happen is Power BI management um, commandlets versions older than 1.0946 will break during login. So it's going to be pretty obvious what happened when this has been rolled out. But just be aware that you need to update your, uh, your, your um, commandlets. This will be uh, rolled out starting on July the 30th. So you still have two weeks, but yeah, up, upgrade your, your Microsoft Power BI management module by then. Nice. Oh, I, I can keep talking, but uh, I want to hear another rant. <laughs> okay. So let's start with the, the, let's continue with Windows then. Windows 365. Windows in the cloud. And now starting starting to sound like my former a former colleague of mine, which would absolutely I think I would have a good time ranting with him on this. So I think this is one of the worst kept secrets ever from a Microsoft point of view, that they have been planning something like this, but we haven't known about the details, it hasn't been official and all of that. So Windows 365 is basically the ability to spin up a Windows 10 today um, virtual machine in Azure and publish that to a user. And you can do this through 
Microsoft Endpoint Manager, basically saying that, okay, this user, which we are now onboarding, give that person, in addition to their M365 license, also give them a license for Windows 365 so they can get a virtual machine that they can run uh, through their browser or through the um, remote desktop client on their device. And basically, there you have a VD, VDI or desktop as a service model built by Microsoft and integrated in Microsoft Endpoint Manager. And as, a, as I've understood it, one of the new Windows 3 or 365 thingies. So we'll now have Office 365, which is part of Microsoft 365. And in addition to Microsoft 365, you will also have Windows 365. And Microsoft takes care of some of the management, not all. You will have in the enterprise SKU, you will have to take care of networking within Azure. And currently you're required to have Active Directory. No native Azure AD join as of today. Okay. Yeah. And I think that this, to, to me, it makes total sense that they are doing this. I do think it's both logical from a Microsoft point of view, but I think it also shows that, and, and going back to yet another thing I've said a couple of years back, this is what partners were supposed to have done with Azure Virtual Desktop. So I think this goes both ways. It will be something that partners can integrate with. It's something partners can build services on, but it will be a Microsoft service. And it's then up to partners to see which is the more appropriate solution, Windows 365 or AVD or AVD that are partner enhanced with Citrix or VMware or Nerdio or something else. And I think it's it's supposed to be in GA August 2nd. Say what? Yes. Because I, I, think I was just about to ask, <laughs> was this way too premature of a release? I would say so. I would say that there are a lot of things that still needs answers. And we still don't have the price. The only thing we know about the price is it is that it will be a per user per month payment. So it's not a pay as you go. It's basically you pay per user per month, just as you were for Office 365, and you get, from what I've heard, some sort of unlimited access to this virtual machine. Did you see the, the pricing option that was released uh, during Inspire yesterday? No. All right, so... Do you have prices? Well, I have one. So that would be $31 per user per month. And that gives you two CPUs, four gigs of RAM, and 128 gigs of storage. Okay. The, the, uh, the information I had received at a certain point in time 
didn't state any numbers. But okay, $31 per user per month for four gigs and two vCPUs. Yes. Yeah. And that remember that that's on top of your other licenses. And now we can start to calculate and now we can also start to talk about what does two vCPUs and four gigs of RAM mean for a virtual machine in Azure? I have and no it, idea. No, it doesn't say that much. And for a dedicated full desktop, I it will be very interesting to see the performance of that machine. Because I know that Microsoft have been doing a lot of amazing work with a lot of community experts on the topic in terms of optimizing these VMs or images really uh, for for this kind of usage. So it will be really interesting to see the performance of that because not until we know the performance we can say if that's a lot or not too much. And I would say that looking at the life cycle, so that's 320 dollars or so per year yeah it's 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 a good price if yeah it's you get 370 dollars a year yes yeah so if you get good performance out of that it will definitely be interesting but it would also be interesting to see how much if you had the same kind of vm with avd and you were scaling that and then optimizing it from an infrastructure point of view, how much would it cost? So there, there, so, there is a lot of different 365 configurations that, uh, yeah. for instance, The Verge uh, showed. So mm -hmm. apparently you can have anything from one CPU and two gigs yep. all yes. the way up to eight CPUs eight. and 32 gigs. Yeah. But if we were to look at the two CPU and four gigs Example scenarios, mergers and acquisitions, short-term and seasonal customer services, bring your own PC, work from home. Uh, I'm going to call bullshit on that one because uh, it's going to be, it's not going to be enough for anything serious. No, and that, that's what I'm interested in looking at. And, and also looking at the examples they had working from home, acquisitions, that doesn't say anything about performance. It's a use case. Yeah. It's not saying anything about the apps that those individuals may be using. So, so then I we think, have the yeah. next uh, column, which is the recommended apps. And there we have Microsoft 365 apps, Teams, Audio Only, Outlook, mm -hmm. Excel, PowerPoint, OneDrive, uh, Adobe Reader, Edge, Line of Business Applications, Defender Support. Yeah. And that's pretty much what you have. So Power BI, for instance, does not appear until you go for four CPUs and 16 gigs of RAM. And if you want to have uh, Visual Studio Code, then you're looking at eight CPUs and 32 gigs of RAM. Yeah, and, and we can continue with this for ages, and we can talk about GPU as part of this. We can talk about a lot of things. I'm still not entirely certain of since I haven't watched the Inspire session on this, I've only seen other sessions. I'm not really certain what's under NDA or not. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. No, that's true. Um, so 
there are a lot of questions to answer. I think they are very, very brave <laughs> to go GA on August 2nd. Yeah, we'll, we'll see if they make it. Yeah, and I think that, again, I want to emphasize this is great. I think that the option is there. We'll put pressure on partners. I think it will make a lot of good things happen. And I think the it's obvious that they need something like this. Amazon kind of has it. So I think it's it's great. But as some of you may have seen, I'm reading a lot of IT architecture and digital workplace literature currently, and everyone knows that I'm very passionate about that. And I think this shows that you haven't had, or I'm sure they have, I know that a lot of the people that have been working on this, I think that there would have been some things that should have received more care <laughs> before it was announced and released. We'll see what happens. Yes. So when it comes to releases, the Power Platform stuff, and especially Power BI, has what's known as our release waves. And the the first release wave for 2021 was between March and October 2021. And now we have the second release wave, which is from October 2021 through March 2022. This came out on June the 29th. And there are a few interesting things, or I should say there's a lot of interesting things coming um, in the fairly near future. We have um, both public preview uh, tentative dates and also general availability tentative dates. So we are going to see uh, improved refresh oversight in March of 2022. One really interesting one is chargeback reporting for Power BI premium administrators. That is going to be an interesting uh, tool for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, that's also slated for public preview in March of 2022. But then we're going to see... Um, previews on on quick create on Microsoft Dataverse that's going to come out in October uh, datasets hub um, enhancements again that's going to be in October uh, better improved Power BI administration that's going to be in March 2022 and so on and so forth so there's a lot of stuff in the pipe and th these are just the big things um, they they have a ton of other things in the works that are not on the release waves but we're going to hopefully see those uh, on the, the larger events going forward. So that, that's going to be a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. Another thing that I haven't talked about a lot at all, that is SQL Server machine learning. So we have machine learning not only in Azure as, as its own thing, machine learning services in, in Azure. Mm -hmm. We also have SQL Server machine learning and that has been a bit of a, a weird one because at the end of the day, it is blazingly fast. Like you can do, um, you, you can get results in nanoseconds, not milliseconds, but nanoseconds because uh, Microsoft bought Revolution R a couple of years back and integrated their extremely fast R engine into the SQL binary, basically. 
But this has not been very well updated. It's uh, Revolution R is still kind of different uh, when it comes to uh, the implementation between the uh, open source R and Re Revolution R. So this means that they've, they've done a few things. For instance, they, they have decided to open source the Revolution R uh, mm -hmm. server. That is just fantastic. Uh, or, well, the Revo scale packages, I should say. So that the the point is that they want to make them work with the standard open source R engine, which is available from CRAM. So the private R engines, uh, R engines, uh, including Microsoft R Open, uh, they will be discontinued, and that is wonderful, wonderful not to have to keep uh, track of a number mm -hmm. of different R um, implementations or R engines. Then we have our service or, or uh, machine learning services and machine learning server. Those are not the same thing. One of them is going to go away completely. And one of them is going to be updated. Exciting. So, say what? Exciting. Oh, you have Wh no which, idea. Which, which one? Which one? Tell me. Uh-huh. So machine learning services. That's going to stay. Machine learning server is going to go away. When I, I first read this, uh, Rafal Vukavietsk uh, did a great uh, walkthrough of this on, on his site, TechFlix, um, a couple of weeks back. Or, or yeah, two weeks back. Um, and I thought this was going to be a bad thing. But the more I look at it, it is a great thing. Because ML server, which, to be fair, never was a lot of fun, that will be retired and ML services will get a much needed investments. So I'm super, super happy to see that SQL Server will still retain the machine learning ability and it's going to be faster than ever. Because while Azure machine learning stuff is cool and very, very useful for my side of the fence when it comes to really using machine uh, machine learning for, say, for instance, um, churn analysis or... or um, fraud analysis, there is nothing better than running it through SQL Server itself. It is just exceedingly fast. And and that, I assume, is both in Azure and on-prem then? Yeah, yeah. That, yeah. That, and that, that's a very good point because as it has been, it's just been on-prem or in a VM. Mm -hmm. But this will come to Azure SQL Server. Ooh. Yes. That's nice. That is very, very nice. So it, it's going to be a lot of fun. And it also means that they might actually uh, create more languages. Uh, Julia, for instance, um, mm -hmm. is on the horizon. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm super curious to see where, where we're going to end up with this. Nice. So let's finish up with Inspire News. And I... I I have the feeling that Inspire is taking more and more of the spotlight away from Ignite, especially during the virtual events, even though uh, for us in Sweden, Inspire is at a very bad time since, in, since it's in the middle of most Swedes' vacation. Yeah. Uh, but it, it's, it's been a great Inspire so far. I have a lot of sessions to catch up on. We have a book of news, which is public, 
And uh, I just wanted to mention a few bits and pieces. We have spoken about Windows 365, or did we forget about Windows 365? Well, I don't think anybody will be able to forget about your rant. Ah, okay, that one. Uh, We have Microsoft 365 Lighthouse in public preview. For you that have used Azure Lighthouse, this is the equivalent to, um, for especially partners, but there are a lot of interesting use cases for internal use as well, where you have the ability to use Lighthouse to get a certain access into another subscription or another tenant. Uh, and uh, take action in some cases and view data in other cases. We also get something called Project Orland, which um, it, to me it sounds very much like we as partners are getting access to some of the insights that Microsoft have had previously. So we will be able to get um, a lot of insights into customers and how they are using their licenses and such. We are getting some really cool, interesting aspects. Also, in, in for um, for managing workloads, where we get Azure. Where is it? The ability to manage SQL Server that are Azure Arc enabled using Azure Lighthouse. So basically extending the ability for partners to manage on-prem resources through Azure Arc and Lighthouse. We have a new pricing option. I think we have already spoken about that. So where, imagine that you are a organization that have a line of business app. And um, that line of business app is something you sell to other organizations. So now you have the option of having a per-user license for Azure Virtual Desktop, which enables a external user to get access to an app that you are publishing to them through your Azure Virtual Desktop environment. Nice. Yes. Like I mentioned earlier, Microsoft is cutting their cut uh, across the board for Azure Marketplace sold services. So... Up until today, Microsoft have taken a standard 20% industry fee uh, from everything that's sold through the Azure Marketplace. That's now cut down to 3% across the board. So more money for partners. And I think that will only benefit the customer in the end. And I would also say that the last thing I would like to mention is that we get new Azure app governance add-ins in Cloud App Security. Cloud App Security is is one of my absolute favorite tools. So we will get back to that later this year as well. And now we have the ability to look at Azure AD integrated apps and see, uh, govern them based on what they have access to within your Microsoft 365 environment. So something that we have seen um, as an attack vector uh, over the last year, at least, is someone sends you an email. You click a link and you're asked to grant a lot of permissions to an Azure AD app. Something we, we do on a regular basis where we want to use our Azure AD credentials. But you may not see whatever everything that's granted. So this will flag those features. It's something that we have been able to 
to a certain extent manually configured previously, but now you will have complete control over the Azure AD integrated apps in Cloud App Security and be able to take actions on things that are anonymous behavior. Cool. Will you be talking about that uh, roughly the same time as you'll try to explain to me what Microsoft Viva is? <laughs> uh, I will take this first and then I will get back to you on Viva. All right, I'll, I'll take that. So we are slowly running out of time as we usually are. This is the summer special because this is my, well, tomorrow is going to be my last day before a very uh, needed four-week vacation. Uh, you're already on vacation, Simon? Mm -hmm. Yes. And you have a I am. somewhat longer vacation? Nope. Uh, I have three weeks to go after this. Oh, okay. Cool. Yeah. So we we won't do any more uh, episodes during the vacation. We'll be back in roughly uh, a month or so. Yeah, August sometime. Yeah. And we definitely will have a lot of news by then because things mm -hmm. have been transpiring uh, that we can't talk about just yet. Uh, but rest assured that there there will be, uh, the reveal will come in, in August. We will be back. We always are. <laughs> Funny that. Yeah. So, so enjoy your summer. That, that's pretty much it, I think. Yeah. I think so. Enjoy your summer. Take some time off. Take some time to learn something new. Possibly something that isn't IT related. And um, we have a very, very exciting H2, calendar year H2 for, for the Microsofties that are listening. That we definitely do. And I, I want to take the opportunity to thank each and every one of you uh, mm -hmm. who listens to to this podcast. It's It's been a wild ride. It is, well, it, it kind of feels like we're just getting started, despite having done 170-odd episodes. But it is... It, it still feels amazing to know that we um, we have a following. That is that is kind of cool. I will yeah. be very much enjoying my vacation, and I can't wait to uh, to see you back again in in the fall. And hopefully, the world will be a slightly larger place again after this uh, pandemic. Yes. Well, without further ado, thank you so much for listening. And we will be back in August. Have a great one. Take care. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode. Knee Deep in Tech is a bi-weekly technology podcast hosted by Alexander Arvidsson and Simon Binder. If you have any feedback, questions, or would like to be part of an episode, please reach out to us on social media or via email at podcast at kneedeepintech.com.